I would invite you this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul's great theme in Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8 is our great hope that we have in Christ. And Paul's one of Paul's main points that he wants us to understand in this section of Scripture is that that hope, that future hope that we have in Christ is secure. It is secure. It is unfailing. And so Paul has been, in chapter 8 especially, building toward this climax, crescendo of affirming how unfailing this love of God is for his children. And so he's been asking rhetorical questions throughout this last portion of Romans 8. Rhetorical questions to get us to think about different challenges that we might face, different obstacles that could stand in the way of our eternal hope. And so Paul said back in verse 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? So if God's for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. If God didn't spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? If God's for us, nothing can be against us. If God has given us Christ, the greatest gift that He could possibly ever give, then to give us eternal hope and a secure future in glory, and a share of the inheritance with Christ, that's, that's no big thing. He's already given us Christ himself. He then asked in verse 33 and 34, kind of bringing us into the, 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 the picture or a setting of a courtroom. Well, what about our standing before God? We're sinners, right? That, will, that could stand in the way of our future hope. But he asked the question in verse 33, Who is it who can bring a charge or an accusation against the one whom God has chosen? How could, how could anyone, who is there out there in all the universe that could bring an accusation that would stick. An accusation that would, that would be effective against us in a court of law that would lead to our condemnation if God, the creator of the universe, has chosen us in grace. And the answer to the rhetorical question is, there's no one. There is no one, not even Satan himself, that can bring an effective accusation against God's children. Well, who is the one then that could condemn us? Is there anybody out there who could condemn? Well, who is the ultimate judge? God is the ultimate judge, right? And according to the Gospel of John, Jesus says that God has entrusted all judgment to the Son. 
Well, if all of, of all judgment, condemnation has been entrusted to the Son, and we see the image of that at the end of Matthew when we see Jesus standing at the last day with sheep on his right hand and goats on his left, and he's standing as the great judge of the universe, he is the one who could condemn. But in verse 35, Paul tells us Jesus died for us. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Think about that image. Could you imagine a greater defense attorney on your side than the judge himself? That's almost unbelievable to think about that in our human context, isn't it? I mean, you've, you've got a judge, and then you've got somebody else defending you. You've got somebody else prosecuting you. In Paul's image, Jesus Christ, the judge, the one who can condemn us, is the one defending us. He already died for us. He's interceding for us at the throne of God. Nothing can stand against us. So then Paul comes to verse 35. And builds toward what are probably the most famous, some of the most famous verses in Romans, some of the most precious verses in all of Scripture. Paul says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again, another rhetorical question. And he starts to throw out different things, different possibilities that could separate us from Christ's love. Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then he quotes from Psalm 44, as it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What's the conclusion? No. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall any of these things? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your love. Your love is gracious. Your love is perfect. Your love is effective. Your love is eternal and unfailing. And God, today we just want to thank you for loving us. Even while we were sinners, you showed your love for us and that Christ died for us. Father, my prayer today is that we would understand your word and that as we understand your word and as your spirit applies this word to our hearts, that Father, if there's someone here in this room that is not convinced, not sure of their ultimate hope, their ultimate salvation in Christ, then God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see and to believe and to find that assurance in Christ.
Father, for us who are believers in Christ, who sometimes maybe doubt and are shaken by the things that happen to us in this world, Father, I pray that you would give us, uh, give us confidence, re-energize our hope in what you are going to accomplish in us and that you will never fail to accomplish. Lord, may that lead us to worship you. May that lead us to, to serve you with greater energy and zeal. Lord, bless your word and our time in it today. In Jesus' name, amen. And so when we come to verse 35, the question that Paul asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It really is parallel to the other questions that he's been asking in this passage. So who can separate us from the love of God? Who can bring a charge against us? Who can condemn us? All of these questions are parallel, and they're all asking essentially the same thing. What is it that can separate us from God? Is there anything in all the world? And the answer is no. And so I'm going to this morning just kind of walk through this passage and and try to give us different categories of things that Paul lays out here. And, And I hope that as I do that, that that will encourage us to and how we live for Christ in the present. Give us a sure hope for the future and draw us into worship of our great God. The first thing that Paul says in this passage is that there is no difficulty in this life that can separate us from God's love. There is no difficulty in this life that can separate us from God's love. Now, I'm going to use God's love throughout the sermon, but Paul says in verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? But in verse 39, he says, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So is it the love of Christ or the love of God? And I would say that's not a very big distinction, is it? Because in the the union, the harmony of the triune relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are all in harmony in that that love is extended to God's people from God, through Christ, applied by the Spirit. And so, as I talk about this love, I'll probably just refer to it as God's love, but recognize that it's a triune love that God has for His people. And so there is nothing, no difficulty in this life that can separate us from God's love. In verse number 35, Paul seems to be speaking of just general things that can happen to us in this world. He talks about trouble and hardship. Trouble and hardship. And these words are used many, many times in the New Testament. Sometimes they're used in contexts of persecution, which Paul does allude to persecution in this passage. But these words are also used to refer to just the general troubles and difficulties of life that everybody goes through because we live in a world that is still suffering under the frustration of the curse. And so I'm going to take some of these things that Paul says here as things that could happen to anybody. Could happen to any one of us, not specifically because of persecution for the name of Christ, but 
we are facing these difficulties as children of God. And so difficulties, hardships, well, you could put just about any example into one of those categories, couldn't you? Any physical illness that we may go through, you know, finding out that, that you have a heart problem and you need heart surgery, finding out that you have cancer and you're going to need surgery and weeks and weeks of treatment, finding out that you have a disease that there's no cure for, suffering with something for the rest of your life, knowing that the best they can hope to do is to keep it in check knowing that there's no ultimate cure for it in this life. Going through the suffering and, and the loss of loved ones, a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend. Difficult times. Going through financial difficulties. Getting out to start a business and then all of a sudden... The, the people that were helping you to fund that business, they pull the rug out from underneath you and you've got nothing. Going through a devastating occurrence where you end up losing everything and you end up in bankruptcy. The list could go on and on, right? All of the difficulties, all of the troubles that we could go through in this life. And Paul is saying that none of those things can separate us from God. None of them. And that's an important point for us to think about, especially in the, the context in which we live in the United States of America. Because the, the message of the United States of America is prosperity. And you see it all around you. To be happy, you've got to have more. To be happy, you have to have this. This will make your life better. And there's a whole distorted wing of Christian theology that promotes that picture. The whole prosperity gospel movement says that if God's blessing is on you, then you're going to have His blessings. Prosperous and healthy and things going well for you. And with that kind of a message from our culture and from false prophets saying that if God's blessing is on you, things are going to be going well, well then if you encounter hardship and difficulty and hunger and nakedness, you might come to the conclusion, God doesn't love me. And Paul says that's the furthest thing from the truth. God loves you even through those things. And God's plan that he has for your life, remember what he said just a few verses ago, verse 28? All things are working together. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called by him according to his eternal purpose. God is working those things together. So when you encounter difficulty or hardship or nakedness or hunger, those are not evidences that God has abandoned you or that God doesn't love you. Rather, it is a call to trust. It's a reminder to trust God and that he loves us even through those things and even sometimes is using those things in our lives to grow us and mature us because he loves us. 
And so those things are not evidence against God's love for us. They may very well be evidence that he does love us. And that he is working these things together for our ultimate good and our maturity in Christ. So he mentions difficulties and hardships. He also, in the passage, mentions uh, famine or nakedness. The, the word that is translated famine almost everywhere gives the idea of a sense of, of hunger that arises out of poverty. So sometimes when we think of famine, we think of like a weather event or a plague of locusts or something that just wipes out the crops and there's no food. And while that certainly does lead to hunger, there may be other causes of hunger. And in fact, the, the word that it's paired with, nakedness, also is used almost everywhere in the context of nakedness, meaning destitute of daily clothing. So I take hunger and nakedness together to be kind of a, a, a symbol or a metaphor for complete absolute poverty and having nothing. Now, and God's love is still for you in that? That's totally the opposite of the prosperity gospel, isn't it? The prosperity gospel says, if you love God, God's going to bless you with abundance, just like he blessed Abraham in the Old Testament. Well, Paul says here that if I've got nothing, no food, and no clothing, and I, I have the same things that I had when I came into this world, God still loves me. God still loves me. And all of these things that Paul is talking about here, difficulty and hardship, and then when he gets into persecution, all of these things, Paul has actually been through them himself. So, if you're going through a difficult time right now, and if you're not now, you will be soon, remember, God still loves you. And none of those things can separate God's love from you. Nothing. Secondly, Paul says in this passage that there is no persecution that we can face for the cause of Christ that can separate us from God's love. No persecution that we can face for the cause of Christ that can separate us from God's love. So he says trouble or hardship, but then he specifically mentions persecution. Persecution. And later on in the verse, he mentions danger and sword. Sword is basically a euphemism for death. And that's why he quotes then from Psalm 44 when he says, For your sake we are being killed. All the day long, we're considered as, sleep to, as sheep to be slaughtered. Persecution. Did Paul ever face persecution? He did many, many times. In some of his other letters, he lists ways that he faced persecution. Stoned, beaten, left for dead. And then other difficult things that he's gone through as well, such as being shipwrecked, floating in the water hoping to be rescued or to reach land. Paul's been through all of these things. And so when he says, who can separate us from the love of Christ, that us is not just a generic us. It's a very real personal us because he's been through all those things. 
In fact, many of these Roman Christians could have been through some of these things as well. Some of them could be going through them right now. Some of them could be facing persecution right now. We know from church tradition that Paul was beheaded for the cause of Christ. We know that many, many Christians in Rome lost their lives under the reign of Nero because, simply because they were Christians. So this is not just theoretical. This is real. People were actually going through these things. And he says, none of this can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Thirdly, Paul says, he reminds us that the greatest enemy that we can face, death itself cannot separate us from God's love. The greatest enemy that we can face, death itself cannot separate us from God's love. He says in verse number 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life. Death. Paul says, even the very worst thing that you could possibly imagine that could happen to you in this life, even a horrific, violent death by the cause of persecution and the sword, that cannot separate you from God's love. So whether you die because you, you are killed in persecution for the cause of Christ, or whether you die of old age or of illness, whatever death you face, that death is not the last word or last statement about God's love for you. There's more to come, isn't there? That's what this whole section of Romans is about. That death is not the final statement about God's children. And so the greatest enemy that we could think of, death, cannot separate us from God's love. He says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Paul, this word that he uses in verse number 37, it's a word that is only used once in the entire New Testament, and it's used right here. And it is a word that some believe Paul basically just invented for this purpose. Basically, he took the idea of victory and the idea of superabounding or hyper, and he joined them together to form a new word and basically saying, we are hyper victors. We are super abundant victors. But how? Because we've done something great? No. Through him who loved us. Through Christ, Jesus our Lord. No difficulty or hardship, no persecution, not even our greatest enemy, death itself, can separate us from the love of God. And then... He goes on in verses 38 and 39. Fourthly, there is no higher supernatural power that can separate us from God's love. There is no higher supernatural power that can separate us from God's love. 
And basically what he's doing here is he's raising it to the next level, right? So we can think about all these things that can happen in this life. So what about an illness? What about bankruptcy? What about persecution, the sword? What about ab- abject poverty? What about death itself? Nothing in all of that, in any of this life that we can see, that we can experience, none of that can change God's love for us. Well, then someone might say, well, but what about the things we can't see? What about the spirit world? What about the angelic realm? What about the the supernatural powers that we can't see? What about things that we may encounter after death? What about those powers and those authorities? Paul says, neither angels nor demons. And at the end of the verse, he says, nor any powers. And commentators are pretty much all in agreement that what Paul is here is referring to is supernatural or angelic beings. So angels or demons, in other words, the angelic realm, whether we're talking about the good ones or the bad ones, any power, any supernatural, unseen power that you can imagine cannot stand between you and God. And guess who's included in that? Satan. Satan is one of those unseen powers, angelic powers, demonic powers. He cannot stand between you and God's love. How is Satan described in the Bible? He is described as the great accuser, the great prosecuting attorney who comes launching charges, launching accusations against God's children, just like he did against Job in the book of Job. God, have you seen your servant Job? Yeah, I bet if you take your hand of blessing away from from him, he'll curse you to your face. He's the one constantly bringing accusations and false charges against God's people. And Paul has already answered that in this passage. There is no accusation that can stand. And now he says there's no power, no angelic being, whether good or bad, that can stand up against you and get in between you and God's love. Nothing. He says, fifthly, there is nothing in our past, present, or future that could separate us from the love of God. Now, he specifically says present and future. I throw in past just from the wider angle of biblical theology that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and has atoned for our past sins. Psalm 103 says he's taken those sins and he's buried them in the deepest sea, separated them from us as far as the east is from the west. So Jesus has dealt with our past, hasn't he? Well, what about the present? What about anything right now that is challenging us in the moment? Every one of us in this room can think of something right now, today, this week, that is a challenge for us, that is a discouragement for us, that is a stress and anxiety on our lives. And Paul says none of that can get in the way between you and God. Well, yeah, but what about things that we haven't encountered yet? What about things down the road that we could not possibly foresee? Things that could happen down the road, the future cannot separate you from God's love. Nothing that you can do, 
Nothing that anyone else can do can separate you from the love of God, either now or in the future, if you're God's child. Nothing. So nothing in our past, present, or future can separate us from God's love. And then lastly, in case I left anything out, there's nothing in all of God's creation that can separate you from God's love. He says, no powers, neither height nor depth. And the idea of height or depth there is basically to be all-inclusive. The highest high, the deepest depths, and everything in between. And then, in case I left anything out, nor anything else in all of creation, literally any other created thing. Well, that pretty much includes everything, doesn't it? Because in biblical thinking, in biblical language, there is God, and then there is everything else. There is creator, and there is the created. And so basically what Paul is saying is, everything outside of God cannot separate you from God. Nothing. That kind of goes back to where he started. Because if God is for you, what can be against you? Any other created thing, even anything that you could possibly imagine, something that you've never ever encountered, something unseen, something invisible, some force, some power, nothing in all of creation can separate you from God. And this love of God is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because Jesus died for us. Because Jesus laid down his life for us. Because Paul said back in verse 34, Jesus died, he rose again, and now he is interceding at the right hand of God for us. Which leads to one final question about this passage that I want to bring up and give a very brief answer to but then expand on it next week. And that question is this. Can we separate ourselves from the love of God? Because that's one of the arguments of this passage that some take is that, yes, I'll agree, no angel, no thing in creation, nothing in any of God's creation can separate us from the love of God except me. Those who deny the eternal security, the certain future hope of God's children, would say, nothing can separate us from the love of God except me. And my answer to that is, when Paul says nothing, he means nothing. Including us. First of all, as a hypothetical, why would a God's child want to separate himself from the love of God? But even then, more importantly than that, is it even possible for a child of God to be separated from God's love? Well, let me answer it by saying absolutely no. Let me give you one reason why, but then I'm going to expand on it next week. If it were possible for God's children to make the choice to separate themselves from the love of God, 
then what Paul says in Romans 8, 29, and 30 would be meaningless. Because what Paul said in Romans 8, 29, and 30 is, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He glorified. And so for those who say that we can remove ourselves from the love of God, that means there is a break, there is a gap, there is a fault that can happen in verse 30 between those he justified and those he glorified. And Paul's language in verse 30 doesn't allow for that gap, doesn't allow for that break. The same ones he justifies are the same ones he glorifies. Period. And so I want to expand on that next time and and think about what the Bible teaches about our secure future hope in Christ. But I just want us to think about this, that there is nothing in the world, nothing in all of creation that can separate you from God. If you are in Christ, God loves you. And he will always love you. God's love is unfailing. And nothing in the universe can separate you from him. Nothing. Let's pray together. Father God, we can't begin to fully understand or comprehend the infinite value of your love. It is hard for us to comprehend that a perfect, holy, righteous God who demands perfection and holiness would look upon sinners and rebels such as us and give his son in exchange for us that we might be counted holy and righteous and welcomed into your presence. That kind of unmerited, gracious, unconditional love. Father, that that is truly amazing and, and incomprehensible. But Lord, help us to grasp even just a small portion of the significance and the glory of your love for your children. And Father, I pray that as we come to greater understand and appreciate your love for us, that that will radically transform the way that we view our life, the way that we view the world around us, the way that we view other people, the way that we view circumstances and difficulties that enter into our lives. May your love for us give us a vision for our lives in the present and our lives in the future that is full of joy and hope. Father, bless your word and may your spirit apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.